splits into Ravanelli. Ginny wants to go again. Ginny and Skill gets him inside the box. Ginny and nearly there. Ravanelli, goal! Hi, I'm Juninho. Welcome to the Boro Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Borough Podcast. I'm your host, James Howell, and I'm joined as usual by Graham Kirby. Hello. And also it's our pleasure to welcome Paul Smith. Hello. He's released six albums with his band Maximo Park and is about to release his fourth solo album, Diagrams, which is available next week. So, Paul, it's, it's great to have you on the Borough Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I suppose we should really start at the top, really. You know, what was, what was your first game down at Ayrton Park? The first game that I went to was against Watford and I had rang into Radio T's TFM at the time and um, I'd, I'd, I think it, the answer was Bernie Slave and I can't remember what the question was. Who scored against so-and-so? And I, yeah, they rang, they rang back and said, you've won tickets to go to the, the Dickens Lounge. Dickens being the sponsor at the time, the local garden centre, as many people will r- recall. Older, older listeners. No, I'm, I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some, yeah, some classic, some classic strips with Dickens on. And yeah, I, I, I went along with my dad in my, in I think it was my cousin's suit because um, you had to wear you had to wear suits and that kind of thing to the to the lounges. And we lost two one, um, but we scored. I think we scored first, and we had a, a sweepstake in the lounge, and. It was for Simon Coleman to score the first goal, and so as as a Borough fan, I, I was assuming that we wouldn't do very well in the sweep, but he did indeed score, and so we won whatever you know. I think it might have been something like fifty quid or something, and it was it was a bit depressing because obviously we lost and lost at lost at home to Watford, which in those days was quite ignominious. And I mean, this must have been nineteen ninety, maybe eighty nine, because I remember that there was I'd watched from afar and I used to tape the borough matches on the te- um, all the goals on the local news and that kind of thing so going to the game was just like mind-blowing uh, but obviously you have the crushing disappointment at the end <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of quite a refined start to uh, to your borough following career really being straight in at the lounge with the suit on yeah suit on on, a, on it was a nighttime match as well so again that the first walk up to Ayrson Park instead of just driving past it because my dad wasn't a massive football fan so it wasn't really really part of my day-to-day life when I was really young. Whereas, you know, a lot of young lads and lasses, their mums and dads are into football and they go along and they get a season ticket when they're young and they're probably a bit bored early doors. And they just, they, they grow into that that kind of love of watching the Borough or any, or any team, really. And yeah, so I, after that, I used to go along with my friend's dad's because my dad was maybe working as well on a, on a Saturday morning, and so yeah, it was it wasn't as it was a slightly different route into watching the borough. Because I would listen at home all the time and be really obsessed with it, and I would get match and shoot the uh, the two football <laughs> magazines every week, and I'd look at the player ratings and go, oh yes, you know Archie Stevens is doing well, <laughs> um, you know just I can't even remember half of the half of the half of the players, but I was so obsessed as a kind of as a, as like a young lad in the in the schoolyard so going to my first game was was amazing and then I think my uncle Joe took me to a couple of games as well and my dad ended up taking me to a couple of games even though he's not as he's still not a massive football fan but he I think he, he watches a bit of football now just through the habit of it being on in our house all the time and me listening to it all the time and so he always says 
hey, the borough did uh, did terrible last night in Nepal. <laughs> and I'll say, yes, they did, Dad. <laughs> it's been um, the same since I started. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so, so, so thinking back to sort of those early days, who were sort of the, the heroes of yours? Who were the who were the players you were cutting out of Match and Shoot magazine? Well, it was the it was the the players who had resurrected, helped resurrect the club after we went into administration and. Bruce Rioch was the manager and there was a lot of local lads in the team, people like Colin Cooper and Bernie Slaven, who were both Maximo Park fans, as it happens. Oh, really? Um, and I've got to know them a little bit over the years, Strange, which is pretty strange, having <laughs> having been yeah massive fan with posters on the wall and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that whole team, um, Stuart Ripley, the Red Car Rock, Tony Mowbray, Gary Pallister, you know, just amazing people. You'd... you'd because they were local and, you know, the, the club had gone from the old third division up to, up into the, the first division, which is obviously now the Premier League, it was it was a, a total fairy tale. You know, that sort of stuff didn't happen all the time. And we'd, you know, been back from the brink and Steve Gibson was the, you know, became the kind of figurehead after all of that. And yeah, it just felt like a real sort of boost for the area. You know, everybody was talking about it and... I remember us going up in the in the playoffs, which was a really, which was different to how the playoffs are now. You know, it, it wasn't at Wembley or anything like that, and we'd beaten Chelsea at home, and I think we only lost one nil away, if I recall rightly, and you know, won on aggregate, and <laughs> it all kicked off in Chelsea, <laughs> um, and you could you know you could hear that on the radio coming through. Um, it was a great time, you know, a great time to be a, a Borough supporter. Have you ever told Bernie he was the reason for your? <laughs> <laughs> your first Borough match um, I haven't mentioned it to him I mean I, it's funny I did a thing for the local TV for maybe I think BBC Look North and we went round and went went to all the old places I used to hang around in Billingham and we went to the old Ayrson Park and Bernie was there and the, the interviewer was saying ah oh, you know do you what's it like being a fan of, of Paul's music and knowing that he had posters of you on his wall and he wasn't that keen on the idea <laughs> of me having posters of, of him on the wall he, he's going what have you got posters of me on the wall for he used to have loads of, loads of ladies on the wall and that kind of thing so Bernie, Bernie's probably a little bit befuddled by super fandom um, as I am sometimes if, if somebody meets me and says you know it's weird actually somebody, I met somebody I played a gig in Durham um, just by myself in a laundrette um, that does it, which <laughs> libraries not just not, not just for a laugh. Um, it is actually a venue, but it, it is an also, also a laundrette, a functioning laundrette on the, during the daytime and at night. It's just a little fifty capacity place, and I was testing out some of the new songs that, that I want to play on my live tour, and just it was a good excuse for me to relearn stuff on the guitar. And yeah, there was a, a lass there from from Germany, and she had a tattoo of me jumping in the air at a Maximo Park concert <laughs> on a on her shoulder, on her back. And so, yeah, those kind of things are... You just don't know what to say, really. And I, I, <laughs> I, I suppose it's a bit similar when you say to Bernie Slaven that, well, I, I don't even know if I told him that I had his autograph on my wall because my auntie Pauline had seen him in the Mal, which was a famous Stockton nightclub, <laughs> which, which turned into Zanzibar by the time I could go out. He thought he was signing his bar tab or something. Yeah, it's, and it said, to Paul, best wishes, Bernie Slaven. And yeah, that was by my by my bedroom light stuck on the wall with 
blue tack next to posters of Bernie nice. and, the, and the team and you've gone full circle <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah it is quite it's quite funny saying that kind of thing to Bernie but he's he takes it in his stride he's a he's a professional professional legend <laughs> you're not the only one who's had his childhood day made by Bernie actually I uh, me and some friends were playing football in Stewart's Park when I was a kid and uh, when we were all kids and we didn't actually realise that he was strolling past and I've tackled one of my friends and cleaned him out awful tackle and like I say we didn't realise he was there but he was just like oh my god that is I'm not going to do the accent because you did an eerily good job of it actually I don't think I can follow that up but and he was like oh my god that is a definite penalty all my friend was laid on the floor did a leg and he was like that is a penalty all day. What you, and he just came over and spent a bit of time with us. And like, obviously, you're like, oh my god, if Bernie slipped. Like, I'm really sorry. Like, <laughs> almost like you should be apologising to your mate. But sorry, Bernie. <laughs> it was really like just awesome for him to kind of come oh, yeah. and spend the time with us. And oh, yeah. we must have been like eight or nine or something at the time. Just like I say, kicking about in the park, and it was like pretty unexpected. <laughs> all starry eyed and everything. Yeah. I'm um, just so thinking sort of maybe even Bernie Slavin's goal scoring exploits. Is there any sort of, if you sort of close your eyes, is there any goal that you think sort of that stands out from your Borough watching career? Ooh, that's, that's tough because there, there's been a few good ones and, there, and a few like important ones that are, you know, not, not necessarily spectacular. Um, but I, I was there when Borough beat Man City, and I always say this, but when we beat them 8 1, and I just still can't believe I looked up at the scoreboard and that it said 8-1 at any any top flight game but you know obviously Man City are now at the top and at the time they had Sven Sven Joran Eriksson as their as their manager you know they weren't a terrible team and just all the Borough players that you thought ah these aren't quite good enough really they all had an amazing game so Alfonso Alves <laughs> was, was amongst the goals and yeah I think he got a hat trick that I day. think he it did won me a bet actually and yeah Fabio <laughs> Rockenbach yes again somebody you know was a little bit underwhelming he fired fired in just an absolute rocket of a free kick with I think it was that was one of the one of the later goals maybe it was the last goal um, but I was up in the stands and just it was just great to be there when that kind of thing's happening, yeah. um, I, you know, I, you, you kind of log off at five, don't you? And think that must be it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> it was that was that was yeah, good to good to see it in the flesh. Yeah, to be there when I mean it was proper postage stamp top corner Brazilian free kick curl, curling over and round the wall. It couldn't have been better, and I, you know, I, I was there. And look what it cost. Look what happened to City and, after that. No, this is it. It was the catalyst. They, did, they were like, we're not getting beaten 8-1 by Middlesbrough and, and lying down and taking that. We're going to build an empire. <laughs> okay, Paul, so one of, the, one of the biggest sort of questions we've asked you, I mean, hopefully you've had enough time to sort of have a think about this, um, is, is your all-time Borough Five-a-side team. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is a bit of a stinker of a question and, and you could be up all night thinking about this, but, you know, we just, just want to hear your, your five. Well... It's tough because when I when I played five aside, there was always players who were just really good at keeping possession, and you'd play against old guys, and you think, "Ah, oh, we'll, we'll we'll deal with these guys, no problem," <laughs> and they just pass it around you. And even though my instinct would to be just to knit, reel off people like Brian Clough and Wilf Mannion and Bernie Slip <laughs> and just a, a whole bunch of great goal scorers, yeah, uh, let me have a think about it. Um, you're still going to need somebody with 
metronomic passing ability. And I'm not sure we have loads of candidates. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you've got to have Janino in there, I would say. You know, some, he's it's a, it's a small pitch. He's up and down. He's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. He looked pretty um, good on Star Sixes, to be fair. And if we can keep him to a small <laughs> um, I, I, I saw a lot of Bernie Slaven playing in the uh, the sort of seniors league that was on was on Sky whenever whenever I was a oh, kid yeah. after he retired and and he'd kept himself in good shape so we'll keep Bernie in there he was always there waiting to pounce a goalkeeper maybe that's good with their feet do we have any of those in our in our back catalogue we've got Victor Valdez I guess you know which, uh, <laughs> you know we, we wouldn't be able to do anything too stupid if he turns up that is <laughs> um, yeah you know not necessarily a Borough legend <laughs> having a, been there so briefly but yeah, could be good for five aside. Triore, I'd put I'd put him in just because he's one of the play like the only player that I've thought over the last few years. This guy is could well could be a total world class player, and we've got him at an early early stage. And you know he he just he excites people. So on a five aside pitch, maybe that's not the right thing. Maybe he'd run out of room. Uh, maybe you just <laughs> can't go, get up to top speed. Yeah, maybe go through the go go through the hoardings. Um, but I'll put him in just because. Yeah, he's what I've ex- been excited watching him play. Hmm, who else should we? Very go top for? heavy side here. You've got. I know ball. this is the thing. This is the thing. We'll you put need a quarterback. I know. Well, this is it. It's you know the old school centre halves that I have experienced. You know people like Mowbray and Pallister. You know, again, is that is that what we want in five a side? I don't know. We're going to need we're going to need somebody to defend. So yeah, let's let's put Gary Pallister in there. He was very classy when I used to watch him. Good on the ball, which was rare in sort of you know second division nineteen eighties football. You know, centre halves who were decent on the ball, and yeah, we'll put him in there. I'm one of the aforementioned old boys. That yeah, we'll just pass it around you. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is I've, yeah. I've taken too many beatings on it <laughs> when I was when I was a youngster on the five side in the five side leagues. These barrel chested old fellas. Not that I'm saying Gary Pallister's got a barrel chest and <laughs> is out of shape or anything. I'm sure that's not the case. Yeah, you've left Lee Tomlin out as well for that. <laughs> I'm not right in saying he's a fellow Billingham boy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. Yeah, solidarity there. Yeah, well, there's there's a golf course in in Billingham which is unusual for a small town it's got an ice rink uh, yes. and, a, and, a, and a golf course it sounds like the most amazing place to grow up in the world it's pretty good it's okay but it's um, yeah it's I, I, there was rumours all the time of seeing Gary Pallister on the first tee people would go oh yeah Gary Pallister was down the golf course today <laughs> so yeah I, when, as a youth that was those kind of things were going around the schoolyard and now he's in your all time Borough 5 or something yeah somehow <laughs> just because I couldn't think of any other defender. <laughs> you discounted Tony Mowbray. I did, you know. Tony Tony's nails, but Gary Gary ended up at Man U, so <laughs> he gets the vote. So moving on to sort of more more general topics, really. Have you, have you ever seen the the Twitter account Bands FC? Well, it's funny you should say that. In the last few days, there, there looks like there will be a Maximo Park badge that is linked to the Middlesbrough crest, the older crest where it was circular. And they've got the jumping figure from our debut album on the on this badge. And so, yeah, they asked us if there was any charities that we might be able to raise funds for by making an enamel badge or something like that. So, yeah, watch this space because you know it's a great thing. I've, I'm 
a big fan of the uh, of the stuff that they do. They've done one with like this. Even this morning, I saw them they'd done one with Law, the American band, and I'm I didn't even find out exactly what the source of it was. But yeah, they they obviously pick an image that means something to the band, but is also something to do with the sport uh, sporting. Enterprise, but Lower from America, so I'm not sure exactly what what they used for their badge. But yeah, Camera Obscura, they've done one for them, which is raising money for um, for their favourite charity. So yeah, it's an interesting enterprise. No, yeah, I mean, so, some of them look fantastic. You know, they're real sort of nice, nice mm. pieces of graphic design working on some of the sort of the classical imagery. I suppose what, what I wanted to really sort of ask you about that is sort of the relationship between uh, football and music. Then, as a sort of an expert in almost both fields. Do you do you sort of see a, a similar atmosphere? You know, I've seen you talk about the rituals of going to games and things like that. Do you sort of see a shared bond with people that go to gigs and people that go to music on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it is obsessive in many ways. You know, if if you've got a season ticket, that's a lot of money, and people put invest a lot of themselves financially and you know mentally and socially. It's a good way for me to, to catch up with me, me mates because I live in Newcastle and um, I go back regularly to go to games and see what's going on and catch up. And even if the football's no good, you can you can have that that kind of relationship with with the club and associate it with friends and family and where you grew up and keep the, the kind of ties to your roots. I'm the same with gigs. You know, I have friends who I go to gigs with and you, you you look back and go, do you remember when this gig happened and we saw whoever? And it's the same when you, you talk about games. You go, oh, that game last season, you know, so-and-so was rubbish, but it was a great game, you know, <laughs> um, all that kind of stuff. So th- there's definitely something shared in it. And it's it's entertainment as well, you know, that even more more now than ever, it's seen as a kind of entertainment thing. Which perhaps, in both respects, is it gets away from what it's all about. You know, you end you end up end up being uh, a spectator and kind of a bit detached. You know, sometimes when I go at the football, if I'm whoever I'm sat next to, they've got their earphones in and they they don't even some of them don't even clap. You know, and they don't they don't they're not they're, they're just not into it as much as perhaps you would be. And and times gone by, and I think. You know, bigger gigs are a bit like that as well. It's kind of a very there's something detached about it, and that's something that I, I'm I'm not not massively keen on. But I mean, it also it goes with the territory when things are when things are a bit more commercially minded. It sort of kills a little bit of the passion. So I think you know when you go to the borough and you see people in the sort of in the red faction area, or if you go to an away match like I was. I went to see the Borough against Hull the other week, but it was sold out. I happened to be in Hull doing a Leonard Cohen celebration, where loads of singers were singing Leonard Cohen songs, <laughs> and I was I was invited along and sang a few songs. And I noticed that the Borough were playing that day in Hull, so I just went along. And the guy said, "I said, can I get a ticket for the for the game here on the day? Because I knew it would be half empty. <laughs> it's a massive stadium and." The, the supporters are having a they'll uh, hate them yeah they're, they're, they're having a few <laughs> issues with the owner and yeah the guy was like where do you want to go because he'd, he'd listened to my he'd heard my accent and it wasn't broad Yorkshire um, <laughs> and asked, and he said home or away and I wavered and I was like uh, away please and uh, so I ended up anyway in 
just near the dugout because I thought I'll be able to listen to what's going on, listen to the managers a little bit. And I was on the wrong side for Tony, for Mr. Pulis, who uh, was the more, the more vocal of the managers. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it, the atmosphere was, you know, not not great around there. But I just looking at the looking across at the Borough supporters and thinking, ah, I wish I was in the away end. It would have been much more enjoyable because it was a terrible game as well. I have to say, one a very disappointing one-all draw, which didn't didn't even didn't even register that there were two goals in the game. In in terms of my enjoyment as I walked away, it was like. It was so such a bad game. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I, I was at that, that exact same game, but I was just the wrong, just the whole side of the steward separating the away fans from the whole fans, and it was lovely seeing all the Borough fans sort of wild and enthusiastic, <laughs> and it was quite somber around the whole fans and a yeah. little bit edgy, oh, especially yeah. when when we scored. I had to sort of quietly keep myself to myself. Yeah. That's the thing. You I, I, even though I wanted to go at the go at the game, I was just thinking ah, I should be in the other end. It's kind of it's almost killing the, the enjoyment of yeah, it being absolutely that, that yeah but it's yeah you know I love I wanted to be there in case we won and as every every football supporter thinks every time they go to a football match and yeah it was a stinker <laughs> <laughs> can we just pick up on one other thing you said there so you were honest in the first instant and said I'd like an away ticket and yet even after that he still gave you a home ticket I I, I stumbled I stumbled and I didn't say I definitely want to be in the way. I just I had to think about it, and he probably just thought I was a simpleton. <laughs> okay, so moving moving forward, to sort of look at your new album diagrams. What what can we expect from the new album? Um, well, it's the third record that I've made in basically in my bedroom or in or in in my mate's house, um, and he's moved to, to Manchester now. He's in a band. His name's Andrew Hodson. He's in a band called Warm Digits, and. I don't play the drums, so every time I've made a record by myself, I've played the guitar and sang and done other bits and bobs on it, but I'll, I'll always try and find somebody to play the bass and play the drums. On, on the new record, I've done a bit of the bass playing myself. Um, but to, to go back to what the question, um, I've been making sort of bedroom pop records because I, I can't afford to go into a, a big studio and... You know, with, by myself, you know, I, nobody really knows who I am. They all think, you know, if people know the band, they don't even necessarily know my name. They just know that I'm the singer from the band, and <laughs> that's fine. So, yeah, every time I make a solo record, it's almost like starting again and sort of saying, right, there's this guy with the most generic name in the world who's putting out a record. <laughs> um, you know, it was based in the northeast, not exactly the hub of the music industry. And yeah, I put them out on my own label, Billingham Records. So yeah, it's it's not a million miles away from Maximo Park. It'll always sound like me singing, and the songs are very melodic and poppy. And the that follows on from the last record that I made by myself, Contradictions, which was, came out maybe three years ago. And I just wanted to do something that's kind of classic pop songwriting you know big choruses and you know middle eights kind of very traditional structures but try and do have put a little bit of a twist on those so it's kind of a similar thing that we do in maximo park although we have a different end result and it's all four or five of us in the room together making the decisions whereas this follows my own personal tastes much more um and the new album maybe is a bit more grungy than some of the other records that i've done I'm, I suppose I'm quite influenced by some of the stuff that I've that I grew up listening to in the in the mid '90s, 
that I still love. And I've, <laughs> I just thought to myself, oh, well, I've never made a record that had loads and loads of those influences on to kind of bind it together. So there's a few songs um, that I'd written, like one of them's from nine years ago, and I played it on my first solo <coughs> tour. But yeah, it was too heavy for the last one. I thought I'll save that one. There's another one that I made up when Maximo Park were recording our fourth record in Bath. And I just did it on my computer and kept it as this little demo. And I thought one day I'm going to, you know, get the, <laughs> get the heavy later, guitars yeah. on there and <laughs> do it properly. So yeah, it's a, it's a collection of songs from the last few years that I think, yeah, maybe remind me of stuff like the Lemonheads when I was growing up, that okay, kind of yeah. shame about Ray's one of my favorite records and kind of smashing pumpkins, guitar sounds, um, not these days, but the kind of Siamese dream era and Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Those were the kind of, some of the, the first bands that I got into. And even though I got into very different stuff, I thought, you know, some of those sounds are still very much in my head when I play the guitar because I learned to play the guitar using using those songs and, and those sounds. So I've kind of applied that sound to the way that I write, which ends, ends up being quite digressive it starts off in a very with a kind of personal reminiscence or some or something that feels like it could be a the start of a short story, and then I'll I'll just kind of branch out from there and put these sort of wordy songs along with a kind of very simple melody, and that's kind of that's how I ended up with the record. I mean, great. I mean, sort of I know from the from the latest single around and around. He's like mentioned about Cleveland Hills and things yes. like that, you know, and, and and we've seen it before with things like North by Northeast with Maximo Park. How much does sort of the Northeast influence your writing and and your surroundings and sort of the, the spaces you live in day to day influence what you write? Um, very heavily, and it's hard to quantify sometimes. And you look back at what you've written, even you know, even when when you're starting to put a record out, you think, oh yeah, I wrote that song five six years ago, or that line came from a, a notebook from five six years ago, and oh yeah, I probably wouldn't have written that if I wasn't in the Northeast. You know, even even things as simple as the coast is always changing. You know, if I lived in Birmingham, I might not have written that song. You know, it's not, you know, day trips to the seaside are something that is just a kind of part of life in the Northeast. And once I moved up to Newcastle, you know, you're on the metro because I couldn't drive at that point and you just get on it. It'd be a kind of romantic trip to the sea on the, on the train. And I think there's a lot of romantic aspects to all of the songs that I've written with or without the band I somehow, that's, some, that's something that kind of pulls them all together so yeah I mean I end up romanticising where I'm from and I look at stuff yeah especially my solo records uh, there's there's quite a few Billingham references in there um, and and my record label such as it is <laughs> is, is Billingham Records but yeah um, I, for Around and Around the new single I was I want. I just thought to myself, there's a lot of songs that I love that might be based in New York in the late '70s, or it could be, you know, some somewhere on the other side of the world. And you think, wow, that's that sounds interesting. What's? I wonder what that place is like to visit. And so I thought, well, why can't this song start in the Cleveland Hills? And so it says, hitchhike my way across the Cleveland Hills. I taught some classes just to pay the bills. And I've never hitchhiked in my life. So um, <laughs> that was me trying to add some extra, extra glamour to the story. And I'd been reading a lot of short stories by this guy, Dennis Johnson, who's one of my favourite writers. He wrote this 
well, it's a collection of short stories called Jesus's Son, and it was made into a movie, which I saw first when I was when I was maybe about nineteen twenty, and it got me into his books, and they're very very different to a lot of the songs on this record. But it, I also I just thought, well, you know, there's let's try and add a bit of that interest to the to the story and use my own kind of backstory because I, I also taught some classes when I was. I'd finished university. I went back to Stockton to teach in a college and taught art and drawing and painting. To I ended up teaching pensioners, but that's another story. <laughs> um, they got the course for free, um, and and so yeah, I, I like to weave a little bit of my own personal history or things that I've seen. You know, there's a song, "The Crush and the Shatter," off my first record, "Margins," that talks about the industrial landscape landscape around around Teesside, and it's. It, uh, it's just little descriptions like that one I think it goes the land plateaus and industry grows filtered light contracts amongst the glittering towers and it's yeah just going to Middlesbrough on a night in a car um, coming back again from nightclubs there's just this weird otherworldly landscape at your doorstep and yeah I think um, North by Northeast, the new Maximo Park song we were commissioned to write a song that was maybe about the northeast we were kind of guided in that direction and i just started to think about what 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 it was like moving to newcastle and becoming these kind of adopted geordies you know like when people talk about the band they go yeah they're from newcastle which is true because you know we we formed there and we've grown up as people there but yeah it's also about um making songs up in hartlepool uh there's a song there's a bit on the song that says it talks about gray street in newcastle but then it says about being in Durham Street Studios, uh, which is where I started playing the guitar with my friends Rachel and Laura, and that was the first band that I was in. I met them at Hartlepool Art College, and I just thought, right, now now is the time, whatever it is, 20 years on from that, I can write about that without thinking, ooh, you know, I'm writing about something that happened a few years ago, being in a band, and it doesn't seem relevant, whereas now I think, oh, yeah, that's a real formative experience. I would never be in Maximo Park. I wouldn't be a singer now if, if it wasn't for me playing guitar with me and the twins, my band with two identical twins, Rachel and Laura, <laughs> you know, I would never have got into being in a band because they, they'd seen me being a front man for this instrumental band and, you know, kicking around and stuff to get to the next part of the song because we didn't know what we were doing and, you know, dressing up on stage, you know, they knew that I was interested in performance in that respect and, yeah, all those things went into the song and it ends up being... I mean, the chorus says, "I don't, I couldn't tell you what it means, but I know that the compass reads north by north, north north by northeast," and it's true. I don't know exactly what it is that the north that the northeast stands for, or Teesside, but I, I you know, you you kind of know what it what it is when you're there, or you when you think about the place, you have all of the different memories, and the landscape comes into it, and the people, and I think that a lot of the the stuff that I write about is. Yeah, it comes from from that. Our songs and the songs I write as a solo person are all emotionally driven at the start of it. You know, it has to have something that engages me emotionally to in order to sing the song, in order to get up in front of people even after you've written them and you, you've got to think to yourself, is this is this good? Otherwise, <laughs> people are going to go home disappointed. <laughs> um, and the, the things that I seem to be suited towards is something more emotional, even though I, I like quite detached music or whatever. You know, I like lots of different kinds of things. I like rap music, but 
the, the, the thing that really I feel like I'm strong at and that filters into it is this kind of emotional descriptive thing. And so that's what, yeah, the, the Northeast ends up being there by virtue of it, of it being my home. Can I ask you a question about how you sing it? Because the whenever I've heard you performing, more than any other performer, more than any other artist, it feels like you almost make a point of showing where you're from in how you pronounce certain words and you don't lose your accent in any way at all. And I've always loved that. And <laughs> there's even, I mean, there's other examples of, of bands from elsewhere. The, the Cortinas is, is the one that kind of springs to mind of people who are very clearly from a certain area, but it, it, it feels like you've almost made it your specific aim almost to to pronounce it like that. Maybe not to pronounce it like that, but to not lose that and to not lose that identity of where you're from and what have you. Yeah, well, when I first started singing, I'd, I mean, I, Maximo Park asked me to sing and I'd never sang before um, since I was in the school choir and that kind of thing. Um, I just thought people in bands were, especially lead singers, were just idiots, you know, really cocky people who, you know, it, it, there was a lot of local bands around where people thought they were Liam Gallagher or... <laughs> or whatever around the time when I was starting to be in bands I just thought right well how am I going to sing what am I going to do and I just thought I've got you know I've got to be myself there's, there's no other way of doing it and I I just tried to articulate what I was feeling at the time and I didn't I hated bands who sang in American accents as well of, of which there were quite a few seems to have filtered out a little bit more yeah people can be very bland because they're trying to aim for everybody they're trying to be big and connect with everybody so this kind of mid-atlantic thing goes on this kind of weird accent that just you know people say love instead of love and it's just if you're going to sing the word love with my accent you sing love yeah and so i do (laughs) you know it's kind of it's very it is as straightforward as that and i didn't really realize after i'd sort of started singing and gone through that awkward process of first singing with the band in a room and thinking, oh, this is a bit awkward. And then the th- second practice, things got much better. And then by the third, I felt quite comfortable, even though we were still trying to find out what the songs were and all that kind of stuff. I felt comfortable with the way that I sang, uh, even though I wasn't getting everything that I wanted to get across. I was, I felt like, okay, this is how I'm going to sing. And that's just the way it is. You know, I'll never be Pavarotti <laughs> um, or, you know, a, a spectacular singer. Um, I, I'll put, I'll, but I can put across the song in a genuine way, which is what I'm after. You know, I want as, I want as little distance between how I feel and how it comes out. And that's, that's how I approach singing. And then we played our first concert three months later in Northumbria University in the student union at a club night and everybody, after I came off, people were going, wow, love the gig. I can't believe you're singing your own accent as well. It's so, it's, that's brilliant or that's weird. And so I, that was when I, only after we'd written pretty much the basis of our first album, you know, sort of at least six or seven songs that had ended up on the first record and a few that ended up on B-sides and that kind of thing. You know, that, that first concert, we'd had a, yeah, like a gestation period of three months or something where we'd just forged our own identity and come out fully formed. And that's not, not not usual 
it's because the band already existed before I started and, and the mm. songs were already in the in the pipeline and they were a good band for somebody who'd never sung before to come in and I could just play you know we could just get out, get on with it rather yeah. than everybody having to learn how to do what they do they were already really comfortable on their instruments so I had to find out what I was going to do with my so-called in- instrument with my voice yeah. and, and my body as well you know and what we're going to do on stage you know what what kind of uh, performance am I going to give and all those things and you know went to go back to your question I didn't want to forcefully put the accent across I wanted to forcefully put across the songs and perform and and have them be a performance and it's a, a sort of side effect that it yeah. happens to be in my accent so yeah. you know I would really demonstrably say something because I wanted that word to come across but then or, or even the sound of the word and that sound is my accent and so people from the northeast in, in, in particular can tell exactly where I'm from whereas most other people go ah oh, Geordie accent um, which which is quite different and I, you know I suppose I've picked up I, I have more of a, uh, a sort of Newcastle accent than if I'd have stayed on Teesside maybe but I've always had kind of more of a neutral accent than some of my other school friends and yeah. I notice that more when I go back even now and so, my, is my accent diluted or is it always <laughs> well yeah you, you know you start to think you, you start to think about all that kind of stuff um, but yeah I, I, I think I've never I've never really wanted to change anything about what I do um, in in the singing department it always felt right if it feels right then that's a that's a, a good start for things but yeah I'd, I, once pe- once I realised people thought I was making a thing of it and that could have easily somebody else might have said oh well I'll, I'll calm that down or I'll become a kind of caricature it can go one of two ways and because you didn't want them to think you were making a thing of it yeah, you just wanted them to think this is that's the, it that's yeah so you know it, but I've, I've, I've you know stayed true <laughs> stayed true to what I thought was right because you know, like my some of my favourite singers an example I always think about is uh, Robert Wyatt who's a, a singer from the south of England and it was just again weird hearing him and he's when he sings it's like he did a great version of shipbuilding the Elvis Costello and Clive Langer song and it's like is it worth it new winter's bike and shoes for the wife and it's just like hearing something that honest and true and no there's just no filter between him yeah. what he wants to put across and the and the song I was just, you know, that was my aim, really. You know, that, and add a bit of performance into it, you know, like Roxy Music and Brian Ferry, that kind of, you know, really having a flourish to what you're doing and that kind of art school thinking, really. They're both art schooly kind of people, really. Yeah. You know, the two ends of the, the spectrum, somebody who you can get a kind of vulnerability out of them and then the other side, this performance. And so, yeah, it, it, that's, it's the way I sing is a kind of amalgamation of all of these things, but mostly it's, you know, how I feel. On, and, yeah, you can't deny these things. And surely your lyrics will be in line for the next Back of the Collar <laughs> season. I'll, uh, I'll, get on to, I'll, get on to, I'll get on to Steve Gibson about yeah. that. Get the, get the badge <laughs> thing sorted and then we can worry about <laughs> yeah. the collar thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that, I'm, I'm just waiting for the call. <laughs> hybrid for a shirt with a kind of half Maximo Park badge and then your lyrics in the collar and... We do, we do need to apply some pressure on a regular basis, you know, it's just a fact. Are you still in his gag? He was going to slip that in now. You've been looking at the questions that have been sent in, I, haven't I you? I like to preempt. <laughs> I told you turn, so his forest side went out 2-0 winners. 
First lot at home this season and the first time we conceded in a long time. This iffy run continues. I'd like to ask you two what's going wrong. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to say because we're not, we're not playing terribly. I mean, I think the, the last game was the, the straw that broke the camels back in terms of people going, right, this is, a, this is a bad run, you know, we're not playing as well as we did. But I don't think we were playing incredibly well at the start of the season. I saw us against Sheffield United at the Riverside and, you know, we won the game because they, they, I mean, they, they were pretty poor on the night. And I don't know whether it's a, you know, I, I listen to a lot of the games on the radio that I can't get to. And it seems like we, you know, even in the games that we've won, most of them, we've played well in the first half, got in front, and then we just sort of sit a little bit. We don't really go for the throat all the time. And That's not his way, is it? No. And, and you know, I listen to experts summarising Neil Madison going, <laughs> it's not the way, Paul, you know, it's not the way, they, you know. <laughs> We just sit, don't we? We just sit, um, and it, you know, it's you hear these things. They're 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 again not to me. do next. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know, he's you can you can hear that the way that things are going, and, and it's a long season. And Tony Pulis is is very experienced manager. There's no getting away from that, whether you like him or you don't. And he does tend to split opinion um, amongst supporters. But I th- yeah, I think we have gone into a few games where we we've been a bit just mediocre and if if you if you're up against a side who are in form and are playing well on the day then obviously you'll get punished i think it's uh, we've played we've we've done well over the season the, the league positions don't lie you know it's the kind of thing tony might say <laughs> they don't lie um and you know we are up and amongst it but there's it's just so tight up there if you know you can't afford to to sit back in any game really I suppose we always had the consolation of having been repeatedly keeping clean sheets as well, and now all of a sudden that's gone. First home league goals of the season conceded, and and all of a sudden you've got this kind of. Uh, if if that was a consolation, I don't think it was to many, but now it's like, well, <laughs> if we're conceding goals as well now, what? Where's the? Where's everybody's? Where's the positive? Where's the upside? It, I mean, Pulis was particularly uh, disparaging of the players afterwards as well. He didn't. Sack of uh, potatoes. Say, yeah, quite. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't heard him quite come out that strongly across the board. He might pick on a Sambalonga from time to time and say, should have scored four chances or whatever he's <laughs> slapping him down for this time. But that said, I'm wondering. I mean, obviously, it hasn't come at a good time either with the international break going in straight afterwards. And as we'll come on to, the Chef Wednesday game, Friday night game, straight after the international break isn't the most ideal fixture to come back into it from. But I still feel like this was a this was a performance that wasn't it wasn't consistent. It was it was it, I I agree with you that they haven't been kind of tearing any trees up. But I think that was a that was considerably worse than uh, than what we've been used to. Just like I say, I'm just a bit concerned that what we've got to try and turn it around against is going to be a tricky trip. Well, it's it's. A long season, and it's only one game. But we've had, we've now got the time to dwell on it. Whereas when we've, when we've come up against it at other points in the season, there's been a game three days later or whatever, yeah. and we've done quite well. You know, we've managed to, to bounce back. So yeah, I guess it, it depends whether you think it's the start of, <laughs> of a bad run or the or the rot setting in, or whether you or whether it's just a blip in a in a hard season. Because yeah, we're, you know, you've got teams like Leeds who are playing attractive football they've got the 
the sort of flair manager. People people have a preconception of how they're going to play, how that mm. you know how Middlesbrough are going to play. They're a Tony Pulis t- team, and you know I don't. I, it just depends what you want from the season. Do you want us to to have a solid foundation and to grind a few results out and and still be there or thereabouts at the end of the season, or do you take that gamble of you know as as we did with Gary Monk? <laughs> think of of trying to change change things around and it just doesn't work and it's early it's still early days it's still early days in the season I think around Christmas time again it's something that a football manager would probably say but you know we'll see we'll see around Christmas time after all the games in the in the festive period when it's you know lots of, you know, the squad will come into play and there's still a lot of time for other players to to kind of come through and prove themselves but we've got that that whole game that I watched, it just that was disappointing because I just didn't, you know, we weren't playing football. You know, it was it was booing it up. Percent, yeah. It was proper percentages stuff. See if it sticks up front, and it was it wasn't sticking up front. <laughs> it was it was pretty dire. And that but, was with two strikers, which was I, a shift. From yeah, me. and that's the funny thing when people ask for something. Which is something Mourinho does all the time. Well, Karanka follows suit against Gemma Blackburn, the Karanka away game. And he says, I gave you, in yeah. precise Mourinho style, I gave you a 4 4 2. I put them both up top. I think it was, who would it have been, Rhodes and Nugent at the time? Yeah, I think so. And, and yeah. Got beat. Got beat. And he was he couldn't wait to, to yeah. gloat about that. Well, yeah. <laughs> you should have probably tone that down a little bit. But, uh, I mean, yeah, stick, sticking with Aitor Karanka, I mean, obviously we, we try and not mention him every single episode, but how did you, how did you view his, his time on Teesside, Paul? Um, I thought it was, I mean, clearly a very successful time, and although it went sour towards the end. I always thought, you know, he's a pretty coherent guy. Um, you knew where you were. And there was, there was stuff going on behind the scenes, it seems, that perhaps indicate otherwise that, you, you know, you... Was there, there may have been some some trouble going on. There was lots of rumours all all around. Basically, I think after Stuart Downing came back, mm-hmm. I, I did wonder, you know, who sanctioned the move and all that kind of stuff. And so, if he didn't feel like he was in control of things, certainly he came out in a few press conferences and implied that he hadn't got his way in the transfer market and that kind of thing, which is. It's a dangerous game to play, especially with Steve Gibson, who's very straight down the line fella. You know, he he wants that kind of faith from his manager, the kind of that kind of close relationship which he's, you know, he's had with people he trusts people. And I think I think you ended up with, yeah, a bit of a conflicted end to what was really a successful reign. And I just, I mean, I enjoyed the fact that we were hard to beat, that we were well organised. To obviously, once we got to the Premiership. That became a, a, a sort of that that bounced back on us really. Yeah. But I also just think didn't really go on from it, did we? No. We kind of almost stayed the same, and just with the sheer leaping quality. Oh just... well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we. I don't think we had the quality really. And it's it's easy to say in hindsight, but I think going up, I was I was thinking, are these players as a squad? You know, rather than picking on individual players and mm. saying, are they good enough? Are they whatever? You know, we went up, and the squad probably had. It was a bit too championship heavy, really, and so having having a, 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 a the inability to score goals. I mean, we were watching. We I, when I watched them in that season, you would see somebody like Triore come on, and there was nobody to support to the the attacks. Really, you know, mm. Negredo was sort of 
half halfway through the opposition half and Triore was at the byline pulling <laughs> it back for nobody. And and then people were saying, you know, the, the guy can't cross and all this kind of stuff. Then obviously in the in the championship and now in the premiership, you know, he's still it, still has a lot to prove, but he's, you know, he's an impact player. He, he does have an impact on games. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like the team was not built to we had we had, if we wanted to use that guy's speed and a lot of a lot of premiership attack is is based on speed and counter attack and you know you end up with just a pretty disjointed team really it was it was it did feel like it was weighted towards the back but yeah i mean i still i still enjoyed well at least that's changed yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've still got some of the same players you know that's the, that's the thing we've gone back and we've you know it's the, the uh, you've got Friend and Ayala and Dale Fry still trying to break through and be a regular and so in, in a lot of ways that's Karanka will have come back on Saturday and, and seen the sort of the solid foundations at the back that and you know Clayton holding holding midfielder all those kind of things yeah it's it, it feels like there's, there would have to be a real shake-up in personnel for the the Karanka thing to have worked once we got up into the in the Premiership, and you know players were doing jobs under him, and they knew what they were meant to be doing, and it, it was perhaps a little less spectacular than you you would have wanted. And then you you see the the, the benefit of somebody like Stuani. He's he's out there scoring goals. That's going goals in foot in the league, you know, isn't he? <laughs> in a, in a great league for an you know an unfashionable club, and. That's something that you always saw, but he wasn't allowed to to play in perhaps his best position. But he was he was solid defensively in a, in a midfield role. You yeah. know, stayed in the. It's all about you know spaces on the pitch these days. You know, players being disciplined, mm-hmm. especially for teams that aren't you know aren't able or don't have the the team to to go forward in a sort of swashbuckling manner. Yeah, and it's it. Yeah, I think there was a lot of potential to be unlocked there, and I just wish that he'd had that. That met, you know the, the mentality to change and to adapt, and a lot of people were saying that at the time. You know, even like bringing on subs. You know, what, what, why are we waiting? Why are we being so cautious? And I think you know it, it's funny you see the same thing happening with Newcastle with Rafa Benitez, and he's a great, you know, great manager, proven track record, and it's almost it reminds me of the, the same the same kind of thing when you're watching them. Like I was watching those. I was watching Ben Gibson booting the ball up to nobody and it just coming straight back to us against Chelsea or whoever. And you've got to have a you've got to have a plan, otherwise you will be really down at the bottom in the Premier League. Absolutely. I mean I think it was definitely a mix of that of, of what had worked so well in the championship didn't quite sort of trans transpose into the into the top flight. But I also felt that it just got let down a lot as well by some of the players. I'm mainly thinking of Ramirez. Valdez, a few others that just just weren't bothered. You know, it meant so much to some of the players, like you know George Friend and Adam Clayton, especially you know that had been working for years trying to get to this, and then just just left left down in that list. Well, they're they're (laughs) they're, (laughs) wouldn't dare. (laughs) Well, they're the hard workers, you know. They're they're the the worker bees of the team, and they need they need the flair players to put that effort in, as well, and to be and to be creators, uh, but also to fight for the team and when you see that running through the side then you know you, you have a chance against against teams um, but yeah it, it felt like the season just ebbed away ebbed away and then obviously you know when Steve Agnew came in again it didn't feel like there was a plan you know the, 
if you're gonna if you're gonna sack a guy who attack, you know, <laughs> if you're gonna sack a guy who might end up on either one side or the other side of that relegation line, and a lot of managers do it and get over the line a couple of points ahead of relegation, and then they build on it for the next season. That may have happened with Karanka. I don't, you know. I would I would err on the side of it not being the case because we didn't yeah. it just didn't look like that was going to happen. The momentum was not there after Christmas. I think hysteria had reached boiling point. Yeah, the, every, no, you know everybody's got to be on the same side, and, and it just rightly so. I think, but yeah, it, it it felt like okay if you're going to sack the guy who has got us to this point in time, and you know the players know his systems, we need to get somebody in who's got you know we need an idea, and it just felt like the whole season just kind of crumbled a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah, it was, it was the Agni appointment was a big mistake, I think. But any, anyway, moving back to, to to Saturday's game against Forest, uh, another sort of standing with flair players and goal scorers is Jordan Hugel. Seems to be struggling to adjust to life back on T side. Another uh, game against he started, uh, didn't manage to get a shot all game. Uh, hooked after about sixty minutes for a Sombolonga. You know how long how long do we stick with Hugel until he comes good or? It seems to be he'll pick a, he'll pick the players that he think will do well in that particular match. You know, there's no solid number nine, and you know, Sombolonga or Hugo or you know, let's try one of the young lads and let's change the system a little bit. But he seems to me to be like a real you know a hard worker, a kind of more of an old school striker who's going to nip in and harass defenders and. Be in the you know with chances in the box he could do well you know he's decent in the air I've seen quite a few of his goals for Preston um, on the on the classic YouTube highlights that, you know before, <laughs> before well somebody be, comes yeah, yeah. Um, and it's 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 creating chances you know if you you can't so it's almost a, a similar thing with a Sombolonga although he, you know he his runs I think he could you know there could be a little bit more movement up front. Sometimes and holding the ball up as well is you know it's just a massive part of being a, a sort of lone striker. But yeah, I think I think we haven't really seen. It's almost like uh, Jordan Rhodes, you know, somebody who's <laughs> fox in the box and works hard for the team. If that you know, we need to see him having some chances in order to see if he can finish him off or not. We haven't really seen that. Yeah, fair. That's absolutely fair. So another game, and, and that you mentioned Dale Fry already, omitted again from the match day eighteen. Um, again, causing a lot of discussion amongst the Twitter heads about this. Does he deserve a place in the squad? You know, is, is he good enough to replace either Flint or Ayala? Is does Pulis change to accommodate him in a different system? It's it's very difficult for us to say because we're not on the on the training ground. You know, you've got two experienced Championship players um, who. Do the job that that Pulis wants. Clearly, um, generally speaking, they're a threat in the box, which you know we're not always a threat in the box without our defenders. Uh, at some in some of the games this season, um, it's 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 up to him to kind of to come in and to try and break through. I suppose from showing showing what you can do on the training ground because. I suppose it's it's a catch twenty two situation. You can't get that experience unless you're in the team, and he's often come in when other people have been injured and done quite well. Um, but it, it, when I've watched him, he seems to be good on the deck. Um, you know, kind of ball playing centre half, and we could do with that sometimes. But also, it's not really the system that we play. 
it's that's 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 the thing can he fit into the system can you know what can he bring to the side that the other guys don't and yeah if they're a threat at corners if they're getting rid of getting rid of it in the air which the both big Lanson can do that and Dale Fry can do that as well that's the you know that's the thing he's clearly not a bad player at all but it's it's I think you want also you also want consistency over the season in your back four and your keeper uh, or your back five these days and that's the, that's 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 the tough thing really as a as a defender or or as a goalkeeper you, you know you very rarely see people being replaced willy-nilly in in good sides it's a solid it's usually a solid back formation so i think it's it's tough because you we've done well defensively this season so why would you suddenly change well, it after, let's after not a forget, couple I was going to say earlier the, the, the season so far has been kind of bookended by the two international breaks you had that kind of frantic August with the f- seven games altogether but only the five league games which we can focus on but Dale Fry was a massive part of that mm-hmm. uh, Ayala was still coming back and like you mentioned when he's been called upon because of injury such as the second leg of the playoff semi at Villa Park same sort of thing comes in performs brilliantly I don't think and you made a, you made a good point as to reference what's going on behind closed doors, training, etc. I don't think anything that we've seen, we could have expected anything more from Dale Fry. I think the other thing you touched upon about the style might be more of a might be more pertinent because you've also got people like Tavernier, even more so Lewis Wing, who again were more prominent at the start of the season and played brilliantly. Didn't let anybody down. Put like did nothing wrong nobody would have been upset if these boys were still in the team but you wonder if I mean experience could have counted against them but like I say there was nothing in that August period that showed that 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 would kind of lead to that being a good enough reason and then the style thing is is an interesting point because you wonder if actually the way I mean I was looking at wing and the way he fit into that 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 midfield three with Clayton House and whoever else it was at the time was brilliant off the ball on the ball. He he looks to me like a very expansive, lovely, lovely footballer. And I wonder if if maybe it is as simple as people is just thinking that's that's not what I'm after. I want something a bit more simple than that. I, w- I want something more solid that can. Dale Fry didn't put a foot wrong, and it was injury that gave him the opportunity. But it wasn't injury that lost him the opportunity. He seemed to lose his place as soon as other players became fit again. And whether that was even so recently as George Friend playing in the back three ahead of bringing a different centre-half in, including Danny Back, by the way, who hasn't had a run-out yet. He's the one that's on the bench. So it seems that he's ahead of Fry, but he's still not ahead of George when it comes to playing a back three. So it, it's, it must be very frustrating because you've, you've, you've had the opportunity. The team have needed you and you've absolutely stepped up. It's not just a case of him performing. It was the responsibility that he seemed to take on in Gibson's absence, and then all of a sudden that's taken away, and you're a fringe player again. And it isn't obviously it's a kind of competitive industry, etc. But if I was Dale Fry and, and Lewis Wing, I'd, I don't think I'd, I'd be feeling pretty unfairly done to, to be honest. Yeah, I think they'll both get the chances at the end of this before the end of the season, and that'll be interesting to see if, again if they are bumped back out of the team. You know, after <laughs> after good results, yeah. if other players then come back in, because I think you know there will be there'll have to be personnel changes just to keep things fresh as the season goes on. People will get little knocks and all that kind of stuff. It's just whether whether the players 
in the right frame of mind when they when they come in if they think they're hard done by. It's it's hard because you know it feels like he's he you know Dale Fry's been on the on the verge of coming in and it's it you know it was great when you had um, Ben Gibson in your side because you know you've got this guy who's you come know up there's through, a route there yeah he's come up through the academy yeah. um, I was watching I went to see us against uh, Notts County um, in the cup earlier this season and just watching watching all the young lads playing. You know, some some had a good game and some had a bad game overall. But it it was just great to see them out there playing. And obviously, it's Pulis's way of doing things. It's like all change for the cup, and that's that's the end of the story. That's it. Um, but it was you just think we you know we we've had a, a number of success stories from our academy, and you know Dave Parnaby has brought through so many amazing players. You know, it's it's a but it's it's so hard out there. For somebody like Tony Pulis, on the other on the other side of the coin, to say right, I'm going to give this person a chance when I've got Flint, who's you know an established player who we've spent money on, and you you, you can't not. You, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you spend money on something and then you can't have this thing that you've nurtured for no money. <laughs> Maybe we should pull in the, the Liverpool Fabinho example. Was that fifty odd million and he hasn't hasn't played <laughs> Is, I mean, yeah, so with some of the other young players that are coming through that we are seeing in, in the in the youth games as well, um, is there anyone that's particularly standing out for you too? Well, when I, as I say, this Notts County game, it was the first ever live penalty shootout that I'd actually witnessed, <laughs> um, which was fun. And uh, I think it was uh, Stephen Walker, yeah. who is maybe 17 or something like that. And I think he's, maybe it was him who scored the winning penalty. Um, and just he, he came on and he did a few step overs and it didn't he tried to go round his man it didn't work and <laughs> obviously the you know the Borough, Borough, Borough crowd um, got straight on his back <laughs> not, <laughs> not too not, yeah not too yeah the collective groan of the crowd um, and then a few a few minutes later he got the ball and he did the same trick and then and beat his man and put the ball in and I think Fletcher got a chance, um, and it was just great to see somebody not not be knocked. You know, I just I, I thought to myself, you know, if I was this seventeen year old kid playing for the, <laughs> you know, the first team for the first, you know, I think it was his debut, and yeah. just you would after after doing something fancy and failing, your your next the next time you got the ball, you just play it safe. Again. You'd play it safe just just so that you didn't get. Knocked out of the team by Tony Pulis, <laughs> but instead he had the, he had he, he had the faith in his own ability to do this, to, you know, to do another trick, and he had he had the the guts to go up and take a penalty in a penalty shootout on his debut and score, and you know, give the the full fist pump to the to yeah. the the crowd at the Riverside, and that boards well that kind of thing. But he he, he just looked like real quality on the ball and yeah he was playing against you know much lower league yeah. opposition but I'd, yeah I would love to see a player like that come through over the next couple of years I mean 17 you know it's it's, it's very young it's not it's not as if to say other other clubs don't bring people through yeah. at that age but you know look looking at the way that the what we've just said about Dale Fry and Lewis Wing yeah. you know it may not be over the next couple of seasons but I assume he'll have a bright future with the Borough or, or somewhere else because he just, yeah. I was actually, I didn't want to say because it felt like name dropping, but I was actually in the press box 
with a friend of mine who's a journalist for the Times and Dave Parnaby was he watches all the games from the press box because he gets a good view of the full yeah. um, of the full of the full pitch and all that kind of thing and he came over and he said this this kid could be whatever he wants to be he's brilliant you know I've watched him develop and he's he's retired from he's being still academy but he's, yeah he's still there <laughs> watching the games and watching watching some of the the kids that he's brought through coming into the, the the first team in those cup matches and it was just yeah it was just great to see his enthusiasm and go all oh, right well if if he thinks he's going to do well <laughs> then he probably will so my my tip wasn't exactly just from my own watching it wasn't of your the own well. was it <laughs> Well, I saw earlier today that, that Steve Stephen Walker scored a hat trick for England last night. I'm yeah. not sure what, what youth level that was at, but again, very promising signs. It's, I don't know. It seems to me that there seems to be a lot more youthful players coming through at the moment than there has been for the past few years. And Nathan Wood is captain the under 17s for England as well. In that, Absolutely, yeah. In and and break, so. Tav as well. He seems to be in amongst the, the the England setups again, and there just seems to be a fair few sort of circling the the first team, which. Always good to see, and something we've not really something was probably lacking in lacking under the Karanka era. Yeah, no, I think um, it's really positive. Friday night away at Hillsborough. How do we see this game going? Yeah, kind of touched on it earlier. I think we're in for a. I think we're in for a tough one. The international break, as you alluded to as well, that hasn't um, hasn't come at a good time so far as these these two games are concerned, especially given the Forest result. Um, so I'm. Um, under the very same lights against Leeds, not uh, just before the international break, and give Leeds. I, I mean, it might sound a bit inappropriate towards Chef Wednesday, but I was going to say they gave Leeds a good a good game. Uh, everything that we've been saying about Leeds so far this season has kind of made it sound like they're on a procession to the title. But um, actually, we should probably speak about teams in a more even manner than we have. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, they, they seem to they seem to have. The, the persistence with Lahukai, uh, if I've pronounced that correctly, <laughs> probably not, seems to start to, be, start to be paying off. They seem to have found a bit of rhythm. Well, you say that though, Graham, but they've, they've not managed to keep a clean sheet all season. There's some sort of big high-scoring games along the way. Whether whether they will be able to take advantage of that, you know, the, the, all the problems we've been discussing so far about the Borough side of this lack of creativity, this lack of a clinical edge and this lack of real ruthless approach to games could only mean that this game's either going to be 5-4 to the Borough or it's going to be nil-nil. It's going to be it's one or the other. It's not going to be anything in between, I don't think. How do you see it going, Paul? Uh, I fancy us, actually. Um, we always seem to put on a decent display for the cameras on Friday nights over the last few years. So that's all I'm going on. Um, <laughs> just a, a bit of classic fan positivity despite there being no evidence <laughs> that will that will do well but yeah I, th- I think I, I think um, you can look at it another way and say right okay we're going into an international break let's sort things out let's get things right on the training pitch go out there with a real sort of a different mentality because I think that's you know getting beat 2-0 at home against your old manager you know that's it's not ideal, is it? You know, it's if a lot of those players, if it was me, I'd be, I'd, you know, I'd be going out thinking, let's go and put one past Itor, let's <laughs> let's really rip them, rip them to pieces, and that obviously didn't happen. You know, Pulis admitted that they were just didn't, you know, didn't weren't didn't have their heads in the right places. So I think that's that's something that you'd assume that Tony Pulis would get across to them, you know. 
he's been around a long time and knows how to motivate players and I think Chef Wed have been one of those kind of teams that can play well they've got some flair players they've got some of our old flair players um, and it's yeah it'll be, it'll be people with points to prove to their old clubs in a way you know I think um, Adam Reach has been scoring some quite unbelievable goals recently yeah would have liked to have seen a few more of them at the Riverside. Only scored some thirty yards that night. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I, th- I think you know Sheffield Wednesday are quite inconsistent to, in 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 recent times, and Borough need to prey on that and just you know set the stall out early. And it's I mean it's, all teams want to do the same thing, you know, make an impact early on and show how you're going to play and not be left in the starting blocks. So I think I think. We could do, we could do do pretty well I think in this game. I'm going to get absolutely dumbfounded when when we lose six <laughs> nil. <laughs> you talked about the lack of preparation for the Forest game. That absolutely can't be an excuse for this. With the that's one benefit of the international break. So hopefully, uh, although after the last international break we seem to kind of take a slight turn for the worst performance wise and re- certainly results wise uh, after this one hopefully it'll have the it'll reverse the oh. effects of the previous one <laughs> we can get back to where we were in August firing on all well yes yeah, so this is the third third one of the third games this season that if we do win we can go top which you know it kind of dispels some of the negativity around that has kind of surfaced you know still still early days and it's still in the mixer a little bit just to sort of touch on your point about Pulis's motivation there was a good sort of anecdote on the we didn't be listening to the Peter Crouch I podcast no, no. so Peter Crouch is doing like a series where he goes sort of like lifts the lid on certain things and he was telling about how Tony Pulis used to like look after the players that did well for them by giving them like a special big coat in training and didn't, <laughs> didn't let them have to train and so it was just him and Matthew Etherington sharing the coat each week and, and getting off on light duties because I'd had a good Saturday. It was really, really bizarre stuff, but, you know, Pulis has been in the game long enough and he knows what he's doing, I suppose. Tony's big coat. Yeah. Tony's big coat, exactly. <laughs> Little Matthew Etherington just slinging crosses in for big Peter Crouch. <laughs> Is that what they were, they were celebrating? So, yeah, exactly, yeah. Just we've got the court again next week, lad. <laughs> for Tuesday morning in Stoke. <laughs> okay, then, guys, let's have your score predictions, please. I'm going to go for 2-1 to the Borough. I'll go 2-0 Borough. I think these Chef Wednesday crazies are going to, we're going to keep a lid on. I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant. I don't think we're quite back up to it yet. Uh, I'm going to go with a 1-0 win. I don't think it's Taking going to Adam's be too... scoreline. Yeah, <laughs> first week he's gone, I'm nicking it straight away. I'm still a little bit hesitant. I don't think any of the players that have been away on international duty have had a good time particularly well, more had a good time at Paddy and uh, George's expense <laughs> yeah, well yeah that's true <laughs> but he's, he's always playing at right back for Bosnia he's enjoying celebrating Dzeko uh, um, and yeah and especially with the island setup seems pretty toxic at the moment so I don't Randolph's is coming back in the best nick um, but not that that should influence the game too much but yeah I'm just just a comfortable 1-0 win scoring the first 15 minutes Shut it out from Keep there. Tight. That doesn't sound very comfortable to me. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a very uncomfortable 60, <laughs> 70 minutes of dull football. Yeah, clinging on. It's fine by me. <laughs> okay, just before we go, Paul, where can we catch you on tour in the coming weeks? Well, I will be doing, a, well, it's a sold out little show in Stockton 
I always like to play in the place where I was born. I was born in North Tees Hospital. Um, so I'm doing a gig at the waiting room, in, uh, which is like a little restaurant, and they have gigs on on Sunday nights. So I'm playing there just to promote the the album in its week of release. But that's sold out, so you can go and catch me in Glasgow at the Hug and Pint or Sheffield at the Picture House Social. Then after that, I go on to Newcastle Clooney, which is almost, I think it's, it had 20 tickets left the other day, so people have to be quick with that one. Um, and then after that, I play Manchester Deaf Institute and then Birmingham Mama Roos, which is an unusually named venue. And then after that, I'll finish off at London's Moth Club in the east of London. And yeah, hopefully people can come along and enjoy the new records. And there might be a few other old hits in there somewhere, or, or non-hits, but old songs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> For London-based Borough fans, the MSS will be meeting in the Dog and Truck pub by Oldgate. Please check their Twitter account for further details. Fantastic. So, yeah, thank you very much for Paul for joining us today, and thank you to Graham as well. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss the Owls result and looking forward to the future games, including the Crystal Palace Cup game. Please remember to subscribe and share the podcast with everyone you know. Until next time, of the Borough. <laughs>